48 hour art check best of podcast we go live monday wednesday on youtube 9 p.m california time and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later you can always check things out at coreyker.com slash 48 hr we take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast Today's topic is online behavior, authenticity versus oversharing. Um, and the reason that we were talking about this is because I think there is, I, I think Josh and I really like nuanced topics um, where there's not a clear cut answer. Because um, <laughs> I just like nuance in life in yeah. general. But uh, but nuanced topics are really interesting. So the idea is the idea is this: I've seen people tank their careers because they were honest. Um, I've seen people tank their careers because they were playing a part. They were they were being dishonest. They were they were playing this weird online version of who they wanted to be or who they wanted people to think they were. Um, and I think both of those are really problematic. Yeah. Um, but I also think that um, you should be aware of situations. And, and so like, like I say um, in class, like it's not that a wetsuit is inappropriate. It's that a wetsuit when you're not surfing is inappropriate. Just as much as like a shirt and tie would be inappropriate when you're surfing, um, it's not inappropriate at work. Right. And so when you're, when you're like in different environments, I don't think it's inauthentic to be aware of the consequences of your actions in that environment. So like if I'm, you know, talking to my wife, um, that is a different environment and a different situation than when I'm speaking with students, than when I'm speaking with uh, saying things online on Twitter or on YouTube or whatever. And um, I don't I don't know if this is like a universal problem, but I've noticed that being a there's there you and I are kind of in this little niche. There are digital there there's there's two terms um, digital natives and digital um, pioneers, and uh, we're kind of in that niche of a digital pioneer where we remember and were raised in an environment where we saw all of this come to pass. Yeah. Um, And, you know, anybody born after 1995, right. um, They have never known what it's like to be. um, This is true. Uh, James Bond or John Wick can pull off a shirt and tie on a surfboard, Um, but they've got like a whole camera crew and makeup and everything to help them out. Uh, So anyway, but they, they, uh, they've never known anything else, right? And so they're unaware. They're unaware of like the consequences of of a lot of their behavior. Whereas I was around when people cared that Google read your email. Now people just assume that they do and don't care, right? And I was around when people freaked out when they found out that your phone knew your location and was broadcasting that to third parties. And now people are aware of that and don't care, right? And so I think there's some um, there's some level of sensitivity to being a digital pioneer of like how to act. But then beyond that, um, there are people that you know slightly older than me um, that maybe are. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an age; it's more of an attitude proclivity towards things. Because like my 90 year old grandfather was pretty techie, but like. There, there are people that are in a different, a different mindset that um, would just post all kinds of things online, and you're like, "Whoa, that's not something that you want to share publicly," you know. And so, I just wanted to talk about that from the standpoint of an artist, from the standpoint of a professional. Um, I think, I think it's kind of interesting um, to think about. Uh, one, one thing that I kind of enjoy is I think it would be. I think people would be hard pressed to accurately describe my political beliefs. One thing that I try to do online is I I choose my battles 
and I don't shy away from things, but um, I've never come out and said, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm a this or I'm a that. Like, yeah. Because that becomes divisive to the point where um, it would get in my way. I'm not trying to be a political correspondent. I'm not yeah. trying to you know, do something along those lines. Um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get my work out there. I'm trying to get my art out there. I'm trying to get my message out there. And so I avoid things not because I'm scared of the backlash or whatever, but because it's, it's anti my goals. Like it doesn't help forward what I want to do. I, and I think that there are people in this community, uh, you and I, good friends of mine, lots of people that we disagree on all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and somehow in person, we're able to not let that impact our interactions, but online it becomes very divisive. So that's just an example. But yeah. that also means that like, if there's something that some people might consider political that I have a problem with, uh, I will, I will draw an editorial cartoon about it. I will go on a Twitter rant about a thing. Right. But I don't necessarily say, you know, that like I'm of this party and you know, all this type of stuff and everybody who isn't as dumb. So there's kind of like, some people I know because they've called me this on Twitter uh, that know that I do this consider me to be inauthentic because I do that. Um, but I consider it to be um, opening and inviting and, and I'm still authentically who I am. And I answer questions and have conversations about those things. So it's, it's kind of an interesting, it's kind of an interesting balance and I, and I don't have any real hard or fast rules. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of one of those things. And I've seen people on both extremes where they're, they're completely fake or they're open about everything to their own detriment. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. And I think the line has to be like we said at the beginning, it's like this is definitely one of those gray areas where I think the boundary has to be kind of drawn by yourself using just rational thought Right. But like for me, um, I'm pretty political and I'm not political like um, I'm not running for office, but, you know, I donate to certain activist organizations. I like, you know, I will march in rallies. I will like get pretty loud about like politicians I disagree with. And I feel like that actually doesn't really hurt. Uh, my brand. And, and one thing I'd also say is like that I'm always very cautious and, and, and careful to do is like, I'm not going to say that somebody can't buy my book. Meaning like, yeah. like, like I don't care what you, what your political beliefs are. Um, if you want to buy my book, that's great. And, and um, I'm also working on a book that's like extremely, confessional and and kind of uh, not safe for work kind of way um but that's the book but i do make sure that my conduct online isn't something that were i to see a snapshot of it at work or somewhere else i would be like oh no <laughs> like i'm in like meaning I, i'm careful and measured with my words and i try to make sure i'm being fair yeah um and I, I'm also aware that there are people out there who are reading it. So it's like I'm not um, just kind of treating it like a journal. Um, and right. that's, that's kind of that, whereas like my, my own work, my own art, it's like I don't really feel like I need boundaries with that. Um, if I need to get into some really heavy territory and it's necessary for the story, that's where I have to go. But with my conduct on social media, I kind of measure it and I have to measure it. That's part of my job. I mean, um, part of my day job and my job as a, an illustrator, um, you know, where I can hopefully present like a version of myself that uh, isn't going to be going off the rails. However, um, I, I think I'm a little more vocal about my political viewpoints and stuff. And that could, you know, that's a risk that, I know is a risk when I do it. It's like, it's a risk. I feel I've measured it and I feel it's worth taking um, because I, because I really passionately believe those things. 
Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things of like doing it with measurement and, and um, it is a hard thing to navigate, but I have seen um, some people go past like, and I think this might be where I, where you and I would like definitely agree on kind of conduct online. I've seen people go from being um, like expressing their political thought to then jumping and making a blanket judgment about another human being because they have a party they support um, right. and without even a dialogue with that person. That to me is like, yeah. that's one of those lines that's pretty clearly delineated in the sand where I think, you, you know, when you're, if you're jumping down people's throats and making blanket assertions about what they believe just because, you know, they um, vote for the green party and just thinking of a third party that won't be super contentious, you know what I mean? But you're like, you're Ralph, Ralph Nader is going to be so angry at you right now. Yeah. But you think this because you have that on your profile. Um, I think that's where you get into dangerous territory. However, I also think there's sometimes where being too held back could be detrimental to your career. Yeah. Sense of like, if you're a comedian who's like supposed to be contentious and that's part of your brand, um, you know, like I, I cannot imagine like somebody trying to have like a Howard Stern type career, you know, just, just hugging, like hugging the rail. Like you, you kind of have to just, go all out um, to, to, to have that kind of career. But even in that case, I think it, it should be a conscious thought. Like, like I'm going to go for this off the rails kind of career right. where, you know, and, and when you make that choice, like there's going to be repercussions to it, you know, where, and, and that can be a, a huge marketing asset, but it could also be a real liability when it comes to like professional life. Um, if let's say that work. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, for every for every Howard Stern, there's thousands of uh, jerks out there who think they're Howard Stern that can't get a job because because they act like that. Yeah. So th that's a, that's another thing. Vic Victor posted uh, an interesting comment um, when YouTube was first starting. A few coworkers at a company I worked for posted a video of them fooling around at work and were fired immediately. Yet now the company kind of expects you to post about the company. Um, and, and so I find the work-life balance kind of an interesting, um, an interesting thing because um, I don't actually believe that you can be a different person in different situations. Um, I'm, I'm not one of those people that's like, you know, like at work, I'm like this and at home, I'm like this. And I, I don't think that's true. And so for me to be authentic, um, I try to become someone who, uh, is who I want to be. And it, like, I'm not trying to represent myself accurately. I'm trying to become the type of person that I would like people to see me as. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's really an interesting thing, but here's, here's an interesting thing. Um, if I'm, if I'm online and I talk about like, let's say that I, I've done this a number of times, um, where I find something interesting, there's a correlation between, uh, something that's happening currently in, in the political arena and something that happened in like ancient Greece. Um, I find that fascinating. And I will often point those things out. And I, it, it's fascinating to me because I intentionally don't, because I don't believe this, I intentionally don't call out any political party or group and say, you guys are the bad guys because blah, 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 blah. But what I find interesting is that people tend to react as if I did that. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me being tricky. I don't think it is because I don't feel like you know, all Democrats are evil or all Republicans are evil or whatever. Um, but, but it's an interesting thing because I'm, I'm still not shying away from the topic, but I'm, I'm approaching that in a way that, that, uh, that does cause people, you know, some reaction. Um, given that there are people that will lose their jobs based on things that they say online when they're not on the clock. Yeah. 
and and that's a reality of of the workforce today. Yeah. Um, so so just chiming in on that, like even that comment about the YouTube video, like you have to think what that says to a company um, when that goes live. You're literally broadcasting wasted resources to an entire like to your customer base to right. your boss um and so like while like and, and you're doing it you're representing a company without approval and that's that's a really big issue too so like there's no. legal issues with what those people did in that scenario so i can totally see why they lost their job now do yeah. i think that was the right call i don't know i wasn't there i don't know the details of it but I'm just saying, like, when you're in a workplace environment, um, coming at it with not a fakeness, but a sense of wisdom, yeah. is, I think, a really good thing. And a lot of people, especially, like, young, new designers, struggle with, like, parsing the idea of authenticity with the idea of just filter. And, yeah. and there's kind of a difference between using a filter um, and pausing and kind of thinking before going off the cuff and then, and, and being inauthentic. One is like, you know, like just the thought of like, is this worth saying? Could this have ramifications Would this, you know, like in, in the case of that YouTube video, um, I would think just like first a second, like, could this be taken wrong? Could this look like we're, it's like Corey talked about um, on an art check and I want to give it back to Corey in a second, but um, what he talked about at, on an earlier art check where he was saying he was working as a foreman uh, or not a foreman, but you, you were working in construction and you were explaining that like sometimes like when, when people had to do this certain thing, they have to like, well, you can probably do that story. Can you recap that one? If I remember what you're talking about, you need to give me more details. Oh, well, so like people were like laying plank or something. And oh, they right. Like, you know, yeah. in order to lay plank effectively, they have to sit down. But the problem right. is from a distance that looks like you're just sitting on the job. So whenever the foreman would drive by, um, they'd all stand up like and do it, even though it was inefficient because they were aware that perception of that person in that truck affects the reality of how they're viewed by that person. Yep. Like, and then if they try to explain that perception, it's going to come across as defensiveness. So it's like, which, which never goes well. So, so it's like there, there's scenarios in, and that goes outside of the workplace. That's like, um, you know, you can be misperceived anywhere you go and it can have a massive effect on your life regardless of intention. Yeah. So that's where like, like just a little wisdom, um, especially in the workplace. Cause I feel like, when you're on the internet and you're building your own brand and stuff, you can kind of define a lot of those things for yourself. But when you're talking about a company, somebody else built, um, that's their call. Like what they want people perceiving about their company, what they want um, being shared about their company, um, what they want, you know, uh, what, what they perceive based on what you put out there. Um, yeah private uh, you know like I, i'm guessing this company was probably a private company and so that's literally their call i mean it's like if i started a company from the ground up and uh and had some employees who wanted to just post random things about where i work i would really want them to be measured when they talk about it you know what i mean oh absolutely yeah. and i mean measuring the and fakeness aren't the same thing. And that's yeah. I, I think, I think that's a huge, a huge example of the misunderstanding of what beyond being authentic is. Um, it reminds me of Tracy Morgan on 30 rock where, you know, he's like, I'm dropping truth bombs. And he kept like losing jobs and nobody was, <laughs> nobody was hiring him to do stuff. And, you know, and like another character is like, well, how's that working out for you? You know, I mean, great. You're being like, radical this radical honesty or whatever but like you're you're taking everybody off and nobody nobody you're radioactive nobody can touch you right you can still be honest and authentic yeah. um it, it reminds me there was there was an event that happened um i worked in the music industry for a little bit um and in the music industry it's it's a very 
difficult time to own a music store because um, it used to be uh, probably 20 years ago plus, um, which in the, in the life of a store isn't that long, right? But um, 20 years ago, when there was a downturn in the economy, uh, music store sales would go up. Um, but now when there's a downturn in the economy, they're hit pretty hard. And it's because people have video games and they've got other things. There, there are things that people can do. Um, and there, there were articles written on this and everything where like rock band at the time, the video game where you got to pretend like you were a rock star was probably negatively impacting people buying guitars because they were able to get an easier wish fulfillment. Um, you know, like picking up this plastic guitar with no frets, just these nine giant buttons, you know, or whatever. Um, You didn't actually have to learn how to play the guitar, right? Whereas if you have to tighten your belt a little bit and it's like, all right, we can't go on that cruise. We can't do this vacation, but you know, I, I could go spend 50 bucks and like get my guitar kind of fixed up and, you know, or whatever. And so there's still like money flowing in the music stores. Anyway, so this is that time period where there was a downturn in the economy um, and it didn't do what it traditionally had done for music stores, right? And I was I was, I was, was in a B2B, B2C situation where I was selling direct to consumers and I was also selling two music stores. So I was on the wholesale side of things. And uh, there was this video that came out that everybody thought was so funny. And it was this dude um, who was working at a music store, filming himself making fun of with his face um, this this kid playing a guitar in his music store. So he had come in and he was doing all the things that everybody hates. He was trying to play Smoke on the Water. He was trying to play Enter Sandman. He was trying to play Stairway and all that stuff. And uh, it was okay, but it wasn't great. And he was like cringing and everything. And Anyway, it went viral within this community of music store owners. And then somebody pointed out like, Somebody pointed out that like, is this how you want your customers to perceive their experience at your store? Like, do you want people to think that if they don't know how to play well, that they shouldn't come to your store? Like you're alienating a huge uh, segment of your customer base um, for a few cheap clicks and a few laughs. And what, what they didn't, what they didn't think through was that, you know, people knew that guy. Right. I mean, if you if you're a musician or a wannabe musician, a beginning musician, an up and coming musician, you know, the music salesman at your local music store, like you're, you're aware of them, you know, their names like you, you probably go in and look at that guitar, you know, every day on the way home from school for a few months before you're able to save up enough to like, you know, make a purchase or make a decision or whatever you like. That's what music stores are. And so you come across something like that online. Yeah. That could that could be the that could be the deal breaker that you're never going to get into music. And so like it resonated with a lot of people because a lot of people had had that experience where they're just it's just cringeworthy to listen to people who don't know how to play. Like I I worked above um a, a studio where they did, they gave beginning violin lessons and I can't even tell you how horrible of a sound it is to like hear you know 15 kids learn the violin it's like strangling cats it's the worst but at no point in time would any rational thinking human being walk downstairs and start making fun of those kids and being like man you guys sound terrible nine-year-old you know that's awful blah 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 if and to put this better in context too it's like if you were the violin teacher and then filming that that's right. the, that's kind of more of the scenario because this guy's, you know, right. he's an employee of the store. Like, right. And so my like, point, like, my point was, yeah. he didn't make fun of that person directly. Like he didn't. Yeah. It, th- this is this is one thing where I think people who have this argument about authenticity in the filter um, become they they don't understand. Like, if you're such a unaware jerk that you would actually say something to someone's face to intentionally hurt their feelings, then I don't, I don't know how to tell you, but if you look at a bunch of nine-year-olds playing the violin poorly and your initial thought is, you know, well, at least they're trying, 
have that thought when you're online, right? You don't go online just because it's not a face-to-face experience and do the same thing. Yeah. Because I find that I actually find that the, the anonymity and the bravery that you see, the brassness that you see um, online to be um, less authentic because I don't think that would really happen in real life. Yeah. In most situations. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, you know, I, I think uh, the, the key thing, I think, especially in a workplace is just kind of assume everything's being recorded. And I know that sounds nuts, but, and, and, you know, people could take that the wrong way and be all paranoid about it. But if you're in a workplace, like just assume like you're being watched uh, and, and assume like, you know, if you're writing an email, like there, you know, most workplaces have it. So those emails are being read, like um, assume like just do your, be your best self and, and like be your best self where you wouldn't mind it being played back. Um, and, and the, like in, in a scenario like that, there's no losing with the internet, you know, you really have to measure how authentic you are with uh, like what risks you're willing to take. Like for instance, for me, because I'm a liberal and stuff, it's like, you can see on my Facebook, I'll, I wear like a math hat, which is like an Andrew Yang hat. And it's my profile picture right now. Cause I'm, I'm my guys in the running and I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, now, like, would I wear that to work? No. If someone asked me at work how I felt about the election and who I was standing for, I'd instantly tell them I'd have no problem with that. But I'm not like, once again, that's a measurement in itself because I'm not going to work wearing that hat and telling people, vote for this guy. Because if I did that <laughs> out the next day and justifiably, because right. w- like what right, I'm in a position of authority. What right would I have to tell uh, people who aren't in the same like league, um, like who might feel swayed by my statements, like how they should vote or how they should live or anything like that. That's not my, that's not my job. And and so there is like a, there's a, for me, there is a dichotomy between the way I will behave at work and the way I behave online. However, you'll notice like when I talk about my work, I'm measured with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And the reason is, I have to be, I have to be, um, I, I've thought it through. It's, you have to be kind of rational about it and you have to think about the stakes for the other person involved. And I think that goes just across the board with work and professionalism. What are the stakes, uh, for the people involved in what you're doing online? Um, what's, what's the worst case scenario for them? And if you kind of consider that it, it might kind of make, your conduct a little better and realize like the internet is forever. So, so what you post online, it's very hard to make things that you post online disappear. And so, um, so once again, like, like I said, you know, just try to consider um, like, you know, whatever you put out there, don't be surprised if when you're at a job, somebody Googles you before they hire you. I mean, what would you do if you wanted to hire some somebody like let's say you started a job like a, a business tomorrow and you wanted to hire somebody you do the same thing you do when like if we were going to interview someone or you're wanting to check out someone's podcast or their youtube channel you google them you go what's this person all about yep and if in there you see like just like swarms of like hate comments on like youtube videos or something like or just swarms of like just hate spilling from this person, you're going to think like, do I want to work around swarms of hate? Like that just, that doesn't, that sounds like a liability. And, and like, like right. Corey's talked about, like everything in business is, is risk mitigation. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're projecting mass risk, um, that might be something to consider. But once again, that can also be a marketing tactic depending on what you want to do. Cause like, Sometimes that can be good if you want to be um, in with like some really fringe like political group and that's your that's your base client. Well, you're probably going to have to get fringe and political to like get that person, you know? Yeah. And it's 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 super interesting because 
there's so many moving parts to it and there's so many different, and that's why, that's why I think this is a topic that you and I liked because there, there's no clear cut path to the way that you should do it. Um, but I had, I had a situation where I was working at a very traditional company, right? They, they were very straight laced. Like there are some companies that I worked for where you show up in shorts and sandals and it's not a big deal. And there are other companies I work for where the expectation is pretty much like a shirt and tie, you know, and uh, doing very similar things. That's why it always bugs me when people say like, the industry is like this. I'm like, the industry is all over the place. Like some yeah. companies are like that, but other companies are like this, you know? Um, and some companies there's like a mix or whatever of everything. Um, but this particular company happened to be on the more conservative side of uh, dress and behavior and, and, and things like that. Like very, very old school, respectful, um, you know, kind of business, business uh, dress. And um, anyway, with that, there was a guy that there was a guy that interviewed, um, and I'm, I can be vague so that's still legal. Um, there was a guy that, that interviewed and uh, interviewed very well, and I did exactly what you said. And I went online, and this will this will date this uh, this story. I went online and I found his MySpace page, and I was just like, "Whoa!" And my initial thought was. If this is what this if this is what this guy is comfortable sharing publicly online, I'm not sure that I can trust him to make good decisions on my team. Yeah. And it wasn't that he wasn't qualified, and it wasn't that I necessarily agreed or disagreed with anything that he said, but just the fact that he was willing to post the pictures that he was posting and say the things that he was saying in a public setting like MySpace to me said, uh, it's too risky, right? Because when I hire somebody, I'm putting my name on the line, right? And and I I win or lose political capital uh, inside of that company based on that. I remember we, we hired a guy, my boss hired a guy one time um, that was a terrible hire. And, uh, and like two weeks later, he calls me into his office and says, hey, I need you to sit here for this conversation. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so, and it was like a, because I was, I was the director of marketing at the time. Um, and so it was a, it was like a write-up, like we were writing him up with, um, you know, we're, you've got a week to turn this around. If you don't turn this around, then we're going to have to terminate your job. This is two weeks after he was hired. And uh, in a week later, I get pulled into his office again and he's like, all right, we asked you to change these things. Didn't see a significant enough improvement. So we need to let you go. Um, and so there was a longer conversation about that. Then that guy left and then he turned to me and said, I made a mistake in hiring that guy um, because, you know, I saw some things online that were kind of whatever, but I mean, he interviewed well and, and everything. Um, and it's really important when you make a mistake in business to clean it up as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah. As soon as I saw that it was a mistake, um, I owned it to the C-suite and, and I fixed it. And so that's, you know, those red flags are really, really kind of important. Um, and, and it's because of that risk management. It's because of that, those decisions that we make. Like, for example, I have students that um, totally drop the ball on a group project in a class or something and, um, and then ask for a letter of recommendation later. And I'm like, I can't in good conscience put my name on a letter that says good things about you right now. I'm hoping that that changes. I'm hoping that they're mitigating circumstances. But my experience, I remember a guy that I worked with um, and I kind of gave him a little heads up and I said, hey, listen, I know you're going through some stuff. Um, I need you to make these changes this is informal. We're at lunch. We're both clocked out. But if if you if you don't turn this around, it's going to be an issue. Um, and he didn't. And so you know he uh, he he was let go. And then 
two, three years later, we were still on cordial terms and it wasn't that big of a deal or whatever. He was applying for a different place that I had changed. I had changed jobs and he was applying for a job there. And he's like, Hey, can you give me a letter of recommendation? You know? And I, I was so awkward. Cause I had to say, Hey, listen, man, it's been years, you know, it's been like five years and I'm sure that things have changed and that you're better now or whatever. But my face-to-face experience with you doesn't lend itself to my endorsement of your work ethic. Yeah. And so I can't. Yeah. One way I like to kind of describe it to people is like, you know, think of all of your closest friends and then think if there's money on the line, who of the friends would you have on your team? Yeah. And, and I, I think if you're honest with yourself, I think a lot of people would knock off a lot of people from the list because they know certain things about reliability, about predictability, about how those people behave in social situations and stuff like that. So that's where you can kind of start to gauge like the way a business is looking at it, except take out even the friendship part of it. And then you're looking at like a hiring situation where it's like, yeah. they they're just looking at a human being and looking at, okay, what is this person going to look like in context when I put them in a group and there's like workplace law um, for like what can be said at the workplace. There's liability with that. There's liability all over the place. So like, how are we going to minimize that liability? And, and now, now I don't want to freak people out either because I can say as like an art director, there are certain behaviors that might freak out like a marketing department that do not scare me in the slightest. Um, and there is a certain amount of authenticity that can really work for an artist. Like for instance, um, like, you know, if, if I'm like, you know, interviewing somebody and they did a bunch of nude paintings, like that's not going to freak me out. It's like, that's part of right. part of art. People, so- people who don't understand art, might yeah. be like, whoa, 100%. Like if you were higher, you know, going for a different position somewhere else, that might be problematic. But right. I think for most, like most artists, um, hiring artists are not going to be thrown off by that or by like a tell all kind of book or by like a, a, a graphic novel that's super political. Um, I think the art can go pretty far because I think most artists, um, are pretty understanding of like of art and don't get me wrong if it's really tasteless um art you know and it and it especially if it's tasteless without a reason like which i've seen um right. when, when reviewing portfolios um that's that's where like the red flags go up but if it's like but if it's impactful and it's kind of pushing the line um you know that can show really constri- conceptual strength and stuff however that's once again that's is very different from like if if I notice on like a social media account, you know, there's no filter whatsoever to that person's conduct. That that can be that can be a huge red flag. So it's I I I just think using wisdom in general, um, and and like Corey was saying, like sometimes just treating people as if they're in front of you, yeah, um, is a is a good policy. Like. So like before engaging with someone, is this something you would really go far with in person, you know? Um, and, and one thing I'll say is like on social media, the only people I kind of go far with are usually friends or family. Um, those are the only people I'll really engage heavy in politics with because it's like, you know, we do that in person. Right. Um, but if it's like a random stranger, I, Personally, I'm, I'm usually trying to find a path to peace with that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Well, and I, and I also think like, um, so, that, so that's the kind of the business side of it. I think we've kind of covered that pretty well. Yeah. Um, one, one more minor comment just to, to niche down in the comics industry. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Let, let's just say, let's just say that you, that your goal is to work for Marvel or DC, right? Okay. So that's, that's a goal that some people have. Um, should you spend your time ripping people apart and naming names and all, all in the, all in the guise of being authentic? You know, I don't want to just hide, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like here's something that I do. I I don't have that goal. I'm not 
terribly interested in working for either of those companies, um, mainly just because I don't think I could keep up with a monthly book. Um, but, um, but, uh, but the main thing is like, I'll, I've read tons of comics that I've hated, you know, but do you know which ones I talk about? The ones that I really like. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is, um, you know, an editor or somebody is going to be like, Oh man, I, I love the way this guy does whatever, you know, whatever. I don't know. Right now it seems like if somebody was looking to do a story about bugs, then I'd be the guy to do it. But, um, I draw more than that, but it doesn't seem like it lately. Uh, but, but if somebody, if somebody is like, Oh, Corey Kerr's the best of this. And then they go on Twitter and they see me like crap talking people by name and tearing down other people in the industry. Yeah. Two things, two things come up. One is it's like, well, that person's not going to be fun to work with. You know, like there, there are other people that can do the same thing. So I can just choose somebody who's going to be more, more of a pleasant situation. Right. So there's kind of that self preservation. The other thing is the risk management is like, well, if that's how they treat like random strangers, like how are they going to treat like, what if there's like, cause this happens all the time on a comic book team. Like somebody misses a deadline, somebody has a bad day, you know, there's internal communication and all this stuff. Like there's a certain level of expectation that like those, those are kept within the team and you, you, you kind of keep, you don't, you know, you don't publicly put people on blast for uh, you know, for blowing a deadline or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there's a level of trust that they're like, well, maybe I'm not going to hire that person. And so like, even in your art, you can really shoot yourself in the foot, like depending on how you, how you, how you do that. You know, you can either be a critic or a creator, but you can't be both. Like it, it, as soon as you start to publicly criticize in the area that you are trying to have success in, um, you're poisoning the well that you're trying to drink from. Yeah. And so I think the, the thing I, I, I would say criticize, not critique, like, cause I think yeah. um, sharing your opinion of a story or whatever isn't going to like get you shot in the foot. What's, what's going what's gonna to get you is like, let's say, and once again, this is just a matter of like taking yourself, putting yourself in the shoes of like, let's say you're a senior editor at Marvel. Right. And you see this really promising artist and then their whole Twitter feed is crap talking the company you work for. Right. It's going to be a hard sell to even get that person on board, even if you like them, because they've literally just just like been negatively impacting the company you edit for. Another thing to keep in mind, and I always recommend this with just young cartoonists is don't forget how small the comics industry is like, and, Almost, and don't yeah. assume that because like so and so's at Indie Isle, and so and so's at like Marvel, that there's these worlds between them because there's a lot of inter- integration between, um, and there's a lot of like of fans of each other and friends of each other that just diverge all over the comics industry from YA books, like to like Captain Marvel to like all of these like the mainstream stuff, the indie stuff, the underground stuff, the zine stirs, it's a very small world for a business. And, and it's a small little community that really loves comics. Um, so when you're interacting with other cartoonists, like it's always good to just keep in mind, like they might be the friend of the person you want to talk crap about. Um, and keep in mind also, I've heard this from, editors that I've talked to that, that work for some of the bigger publishers that they've had cartoonists like crap talk 10 books they edited without realizing it when applying to be edited by this person. Right. And a lot of what they were critiquing was editorial decisions. Right. And so it's like, literally, can you imagine trying to get a job by going to a job interview and just crap talking the person <laughs> that's interviewing you. Like, yeah. you know, and it's, it's not, you're not being interviewed for a roasting position. So you're not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just something to consider is like that, you know, you might not realize, but like 
the artist may not even be involved, but the book you're criticizing maybe was edited by a friend of the other editor that you're now submitting your work to. And they're like, you know, the, the worst thing um, I, I heard this once uh, from a friend of mine who works for a very large company. I'm not going to mention who they are, but they're one of the bigger tech companies that we use a lot that has a lot to do with social media. Mm -hmm. And, um, and whenever people find out he works there, they'll ask, have you met the CEO? And his response and pretty much everyone who works there's response is no. And, and the CEO doesn't know who I am and you don't want him to know who you are. Like right. you don't want to meet the CEO at that yeah. company because if you're meeting that often um, it's, you know, that, at least in that instance, like they, they weren't the type of manager to like overburden people. So if they're meeting you a lot, <clears throat> there's something wrong. Similar yeah. thing with the comics industry. There's a good way to be known in the comics industry, but the last, it's better to be unknown than be known as like the person not to hire. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a negative way of being known too. And, right. and imagine if you're that person who like, you just your whole thing is just taking down an entire company and then you're applying at that company. Um, like if they know you, it might be bad. And, and that's a good scenario to like kind of measure it out to. That's not to say you shouldn't like share your opinions of a story and critique on story, but just be cautious not to get into personal critique where you're like, this person's a failure as a human being because and I've seen that a lot. And I'm like, so, and then you expect that failure of a human being to like, look at your work and right. want to push you like, no. <laughs> well, and that's, I, I think, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Cause I think we're getting into another topic, but I think yeah. that should be the topic for next time. Oh, 100%. Uh, is, you know, what is an actual critique, you know, like an actual critique um, versus a personal attack. And there's, there's some very slight differences that make a huge, huge difference in uh, the effectiveness of your communication, as well as, you know, the, like, like the time and place or whatever. Like if, if you came to me and asked for critique, I would not say kind of seems like you're being kind of lazy on this Yeah, because I'm not critiquing the work. I, I just said some, a personal attack to you, you know, but I could say like, I could say, oh, you know, it looks like the hand over here could use some work or, you know, the posture this way and, and vice versa. I don't think you would ever tell me like, man, you're bad at this. That's yeah. a personal attack. Yeah. But being able to point out and say, oh, I don't know, Corey, I think you could work on like this. It looks like this could use some refinement, you know, maybe like change the angle of this or whatever, like actionable things. I, I think that's a really interesting topic kind of along these lines. But Yeah, I agree. Um, Victor mentioned the company's well, what did, what did he say? Let's see here. Sorry. I want to address that and then we can wrap it. So these companies are giving way to a lot of these new creators for bashing the readers for not agreeing with their points of view. That I'm, I'm mixed about because like on one hand, I feel like um, you should be respectful of your customer. And so in that sense, I, I do feel like you should never bash your customer. However, I also feel like... Um, you know, like, let's say I'm a huge fan of like a, a punk rock band that writes an anti-war, not like uh, an anti-war uh, song. And then I go to that person and I'm like, I'm a big fan of war. Like, and then I'm shocked that they're like, uh, dude, we're not really big fans of war. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, there's, there is something, there are some cases where like the art itself should be a tell for like what the, um, can be a tell for like what the uh, the creators like. So like in my scenario, like like I said, I'm I'm pretty openly left leaning, and I and I don't agree with a lot of viewpoints. And I wouldn't shy away from saying I don't agree with a, a viewpoint, even if it was from somebody buying my stuff. If I disagreed, um, however, I wouldn't. I would try to be respectful about it. So I think there's a line. Like my point is like. I don't think it would be wrong for me to like, let's say, uh, you know, I, I guarantee like half the people who even listen to us probably have differing viewpoints than I do on a lot of things. I wouldn't have a problem talking about that disagreement. 
I just think I would try not to cross that line where you're insulting, like, like you were just saying, where, where it's insulting the person rather than the argument. Um, and, and I think that's where it gets into shady territory of like, um, you know, where, so I'm kind of like agreeing, but disagreeing, which I hope doesn't sound like a cop out. No, I I think there's also, there's also this weird thing and this isn't comic book industry. I think this is everywhere where customers feel like they are due more than what they've paid for. Yeah. Um, and like, I remember, you know, having clients and having customers and having other business relationships where it's like our, our relationship actually stops well before what you're demanding of me right now. Yeah. Um, and so in a lot of, in a lot of the interactions that I've seen, um, you know, like I, just because I paid $5 for a book, I, I don't actually get to demand that that person responds to a critique that I gave them yeah, you know, or whatever by you as a taxpayer or something. You know what I mean? It's not like a public service job that these people are working, you know? Right. And so I, I think there's, I think there's an interesting balance and, and, to, and to counter what I just said, um, I, I think a very solid rule of thumb is that attacking people is always a, is always a bad idea. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't like labels. I don't like categorizations. I don't like generalizations. I don't like stereotypes. And, and the reason for that is because they're all built to dehumanize somebody, to objectify yeah. somebody, um, to make them other than a person. And whenever you begin othering someone, you're, you're actually doing that because it, this is getting deep into my philosophy, but just like it's difficult for you to intentionally hurt yourself, it's difficult for you to intentionally hurt somebody that you believe is a person. Yeah. And so if somebody cuts you off in traffic, your initial response, your initial angry response is to first dehumanize them so that you can lash out. Yeah. You don't, you don't say, Oh, that, you know, that, that contributing member of society and mother of three, you know, that's not, that's not what you yell. You yeah. yell, oh, you stupid jerk. Here's some sort of generalization category or whatever that I'm putting you yeah. in. Then because you've been dehumanized, I can attack you. And so I think, I think whether it's the customers, whether it's the clients, whether it's business associates, whether it's the creators, the artists, the companies, anytime anyone online starts to other someone to dehumanize yeah. them, uh, you're, you're in territory you shouldn't be in, Right. And, uh, and, and I think that happens on, on both sides of that, of that situation, especially in the comic book industry. Um, I think it's difficult for people who have never made comics to understand the amount of sacrifice and all the moving parts and the long-term goals and the gatekeepers and everything that's going on. And so you just think that like that writer wrote something bad. Well, I don't know what. 57 different variables, you know, were in the equation that caused that particular decision, you know, or whatever. Um, but at the same time, on the flip side, uh, to just say, like, oh, you disagree with me, I will now, you know, make a big generalization sweeping statement to to disown what you're saying so that I can I can attack it or whatever. You can always have a discussion of ideas. You can always have a discussion of principles if people want to discuss it. And nobody owes you a discussion. That's the other thing that I see a lot. Yeah, is so, uh, nobody owes you a discussion. Yeah, and, and in, in logic, this is like kind of also steel man versus straw man, where it's like you you don't want like creating an other is very much creating a straw man that you can then light on fire and be like, I burnt the man. Look how cool it is. Right. It's a lot harder to burn a, a steel man, like in an argument and a, and a solid argument will face on and own up to all of the weaknesses of your own argument. Like, and, and so like my point is like, you're not seeing a lot of that going on on the internet. <laughs> a lot of the internet is like, uh, you're uh whatever so you believe this and you do that you're telling people what they believe and what they think and you're making a lot of presumptions and and kind of labeling those people and i and i see it on both sides with like creators and fans 
um, a lot of the time it is a fan just telling a creator, like, you believe this and you wrote this, so therefore you're trying to do this. Right. And it's like, how do you know what they're trying to do? Like, maybe they agree with you, you know? Yeah. And that's that's the bizarre thing is, like, I think um, I, I think it is one of those scenarios where, uh, like, like Corey was saying, like, just kind of approaching it from the standpoint of this person's a human being. They probably have some reasons for what they believe, you know, I, I, something else I've been finding, we got to wrap this, but something else I've been finding really useful with politics because I am open about my political viewpoints online. Um, something I've, I've been wanting to try out more and more. I've been doing it in person and I should start doing it online is just starting a discussion with a disagreement with just asking, well, what do you think I believe? Yeah. Like, because I actually think that opens up kind of some of the perception gaps that can cause conflict where it's like, oh, you think I'm for this and and that's not the case. Like, you know what I mean? You can kind of dismantle some of that. So I agree with the bandwagons thing from uh, Caitlin too. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is crazy how quickly we like to band together as tribes and then fight other tribes um, yeah. But as individuals, we're like a lot less um, likely to be like, let's take on like the other tribe. Um, as individuals, we're a little more likely to like maybe have those conversations of like, hey, what do you think I believe? And then right. in in return, like, you know, that, that that's not to say like all exchanges are going to go well. And that's not to say that like just because you're a customer at a restaurant, you can be a jerk to the waiter just because you're paying. Like right. that's, that, that's just a badly managed restaurant. If that's allowed, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause, and, and I, I, I do want to say that, like if, if we're trying to judge things by the standard of commerce, don't forget like businesses often have the right to kick out the customer. If the customer is being unwealthy and rude and like treating the employees like crap, and so, like, that's another thing I think that gets lost in the equation, especially in the comics thing, where a lot of people will be judgmental of like a comic publisher for being for like backing up their people. And it's like, well, I don't know, because like, if I if I walk into my workplace and there's a customer just irately like chewing out one of my staff members, and I look into it and it's the customer that's out of line, I might just kick that customer out. Cause I'd be like, dude, you don't get to treat my people that way. That's not cool. You know? Yeah. It's a weird, it's like I said, it's, it's easier when it's black and white, but it's gray. Yeah. Unfortunately, once you start getting past the age of 23, your brain has the ability to see the nuance in the world and you forever will lose. Uh, what did it, it, there's a, there's a neurologist that studied this. Uh, his name will come to me anyway he says that one of the things that's difficult about your early twenties is that you're actually mourning the loss of the ability to see black and white. Like you, you lose the neurological ability to, to categorize something as good or bad, black or white, this or that. And you realize like, Oh, there's ambiguity and there's levels of gray and there's ranges of yeah. things. And there's situations that change things to be different. And as soon as you come into that situation, a lot of your cognitive dissonance is actually based on the fact that you mourn the simplicity that you've lost because uh, the world as a, as a nine year old, as a 12 year old, as a 17 year old is actually really simple. Like it's because your brain doesn't have the neurological ability to see complexity. (laughs) And so then during that turmoil of complexity, uh, you're, you're kind of just in this, in this turmoil. And after that trial, um, there's another guy that came out and he, he talked about this, uh, simplicity before complexity, the complexity within complexity, and then the simplicity after the complexity, there is a level of simplicity that you can get to where you embrace the nuance and you embrace the ambiguity and you accept that you could be wrong. And that that doesn't mean that you're less than, um, and uh, and I'll just I'll just uh, I'll just bring Kayla up here uh, as a twenty year old. It is very confusing, and I kind of hate your areas. And I will say this: 
that is neurologically appropriate for your development and uh, give it a year or two and you'll be fine. Yeah. Give, the, give it five to 10 years and you'll be great. When I was, when I was 20, I like, I would not tolerate ambiguity and, and uh, as just a fiery personality, I just couldn't stand the ambiguity, but, right. but what's, it's kind of a similar thing to like, it's easy to have the attitude of always being right until you're wise enough to realize you've been wrong. Yeah. And once that's opened and unlocked and you've actually been honest about it, it's really hard to proceed forward with the assumption that you're always right because you know, in the past I've been wrong about this and this and this and this. So maybe like there's a possibility what I'm saying could be wrong. And that usually gives you a much better um, interactions with people you disagree with because if you start with the assumption of like, I could actually be wrong. Um, I'm, I'm really glad I don't believe what I used to believe. You know? yeah. Like I've, yeah. So, Oh yeah. I don't, I think I would argue like, like I said, I, I wouldn't want to meet the 20 year old me. I'd annoy the hell out of myself. I'd be like, what are you talking about? You, you moron. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very true. So, yeah. So anyway, um, the gray will go on and on. So bring some crayons and add some color. I think that's yes. a good way to, good way to end it. Um, anyway, that's, it was an interesting topic because I wanted to bring that up because I've seen, um, I've seen a bunch of people do it a bunch of different ways. Um, I, I know some people that are like, I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about money. I don't talk about this. I know other people that are like, I talk about money all the time because I think it's something that everybody needs to understand and know and, and whatever. And, and I think there's room for nuance and there's room for people being comfortable with a specific level of, um, of, uh, of sharing and what you're sharing. But, but I think um, it's important if you haven't sat down and thought about it to think beyond yourself, because in a public setting, whether that be face to face or online or, you know, in a crowded movie theater or whatever, um, you're not the only person that's experiencing uh, what's going on. And whether that be a future employer, whether it be a current employer, whether it be a future spouse or friend or collaborator on a project, Um, just know that what you do is going to have an impact. What you don't do is going to have an impact. And if you make decisions with empathy um, and, and be authentic by becoming somebody who is empathetic, then, then you're going to be fine. Um, And you're going to lose, you're going to lose out on some opportunities and you're going to gain some others. You know, you're going to alienate some people and you're going to, you know, nobody can be everything to every person. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's what we're saying. Um, but I think, I think it's just important to be empathetic in your communication publicly. I think that's, I think that's the main point. So yeah. Great, yeah. great comments in the chat. Uh, any, anything you want to say to wrap up? I have one thing to say to wrap up, which is a trope set in business. So, and I think it should just apply to life in general, but I remember like five different people telling me this when I got into teaching and then reiterating it when I, when I got into art direction from there, um, you have to pick which hill you're going to die on. Yeah. And, and that literally goes across the board. Like that's a good question to ask before firing off like an angry tweet or whatever. Is this the hill I want to die on? There's a couple things I'll post about on social media and I'm fired up about, and I have thought about it and been like, that is a hill I would die on. Yeah. Um, and, and those are the times you want to take stands and times where you actually want to not play the ambiguous card. If it, if it's a hill you're willing to die on, but if not, is it really worth it? And that's, that's a good thing. And especially as you get further and further in the industry, like, like you, you get so many, you only get so many opportunities and so many battles. So, you know, like the and, more you go full bore on, you really want to be smart about. And that hill is a hill that you could win as well. Yeah. And, and so you might, you might die and it's, it's a worthy, a worthy place to die, but it's also a situation where, you know, if somebody's like, 
you know, they're, they're doing something and they're, they see a lack of a specific type of uh, thinking in their company and they see you make a stand on that thing. They're like, you know, adding him to my company would be good because he feels strongly about X and I feel like we lack X. Yeah. You know, and so it could be good, but, yeah. but yeah, I think it's, I think it is important to kind of make, make that, that value judgment. Um, so yeah. And some people make, make decisions with flamethrowers. So Sam's, <laughs> uh, Sam's just burning everything to the ground. So, all right. If, uh, if you want to check out, Josh's stuff and see the hills that he's willing to die on, then go to joshuakimble.com. Actually, a lot of really interesting editorial stuff there, as well as um, a comic about faith and mental illness, which are two things that some people actively choose to stay away from. So um, go check out Quarterly Stories, which is there as well, which is which is the one I was talking about. Really, really raw um deep dive into um you know depression and anxiety and um faith and suicide and lots of interesting topics uh that are going on and it's an auto bio so you can check that out if you want to see my stuff go to coreycurr.com and uh go see my uh in- intentionally ambiguous stickers and uh and try to guess what i'm saying which is the point because i'm trying to be more thought provoking with those stickers than i am uh, decisive so uh, i just like it when people think about things more than not uh so anyway you can check both of those things out and if you would like to stream in the way that we are streaming right now um then you can check out Streamyard, um and Streamyard does a lot of really cool things and the link to that is at the top of this page coreycurr.com slash 48hr um, I feel like we should like pimp out all the rest of our affiliate links or whatever. Uh, there's an audible one and all the rest and, and so whatever. So if you want to support this show, uh, you know, that's a good way of doing it. Um, at some point I just started a co a co-fi or a coffee. I don't know what that's called. The KO dash FI. We need to, we need to start doing that and Patreon and some other things, but anyway, oh, you guys are awesome. Great chat today. Um, have a good night and we will catch you next week. Go make stuff and tell people about it. Yeah. And now the long pause as we end the broadcast. Yeah. We should just freeze now.